Take your Bible, please, and go with me to 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8 and 9. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can join me there on your digital device or read with us on the screen in just a moment. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8 and 9. I've been talking about living under an open heaven. The Lord brings us back to this portion of Scripture, which He shared with us for a number of of weeks during the first uh, months of the year 2020. And He gave us a message at that time, which is uh, something I think all of you will remember. He said, this year, breakthrough will visit your house. How many of you remember that? Well, as I was in prayer a couple weeks ago, the Lord reminded me of that and how that message came just before the pandemic. And he said, Isaac, that message was not for 2020. That message was for the pandemic. And you and I have a promise from God that in this season, however long it may be, and however uh, the ups and downs may go, that breakthrough will visit our house. And that God will manifest His glory on our behalf. If you believe that, say amen. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and say there, pardon, stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word, which is life-giving to our spirit. I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach and teach the word of the living God. And I ask you to anoint the hearing of this congregation that they might receive the word as sown into their fertile soil of their hearts. Anoint me to preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. There are four active principles in this passage that I have read for you this morning, which I want us to consider As we think about living under an open heaven, we realize what it means to live under an open heaven is that we have access to God in prayer and that our prayers can go up and the answers can come down and minister to our need. And although Elijah at this moment in the natural was living under a closed heaven because he had given a word from God saying that there would be no rain in Israel until he gave the word. Although the nation was living under those circumstances and Elijah would have to suffer some of the consequence of that, ultimately he was living under an open heaven because God was answering his prayer and meeting his needs. And this is to show us that God can do two things at once. And many times what's going on in the world around us doesn't need to alarm us because God can do something different in your life. That God can move and minister differently in your situation as I see that he does here in the life of Elijah. And I think you and I can relate to him this morning as we study this passage of scripture together. First of all, in order for you to understand the context, he gave this word saying it would not rain in Israel until he said so. This was in response to the fact that Israel had gone into idolatry. They were serving foreign gods and the Lord had told them, if you do this type of thing, then I will shut the heavens over you and they will be like brass. And so now Elijah uh, is uh, told by God to go and hide himself by the brook 
Terith, and there the Lord sent a raven to provide for him. And now the Bible tells us that the brook dried up, and so uh, it is a, a sign to him that things are going to move on. Now God is moving to something new. Now I want you just to take that uh, into your mind this morning, that when a brook dries up, when something God sent to you uh, is no longer uh, flowing, it doesn't mean that God's word has failed It doesn't mean that God's promise is no longer true. It simply means that God is now ready to move you into another position. And that you and I need to be sensitive to the moving and direction of the Holy Spirit. And so God says to Elijah, he says, arise and go to Zarephath. And he said, I have commanded a widow there to sustain you. I want us to look through this passage of scripture this morning because in it there are some principles for our life in every season and in particular the season that we are in right now. First of all, the word Zarephath, the the name of the town that Elijah was to go to, it means a furnace, a, a place of testing. He was going to go to a place of testing in the middle of a national test because that was the place that God was going to work in and through his life. And and I am reminded of the fact that the Bible says that our faith is tested and it's tried. And these are realities that we experience in the human condition and as we walk with God. And yet the Bible says that the trial of our faith produces patience. It produces endurance. So maybe this morning you're in Zarephath. Maybe you're in a place of testing, a place of challenge. Maybe you're in a place where things are hot and tight and and tense and desperate. Let me just encourage you to keep walking by faith because it's the testing of your faith that produces endurance. And this thing will not be your end, but it will be the platform for the next level of God's uh, assignment in your life goes to Zarephath, he's told, because I have commanded a widow to sustain you. Now I want you to first of all notice the principle that's active here is the principle of God's sustaining of his people. He says, I have commanded a widow to sustain you. The word sustain does not just mean to keep alive, but it means to cause to thrive. I have appointed a a means by which uh, you, Elijah, in the middle of the famine, in the middle of this trial, can thrive, can experience my fullness and my best. And I don't know if you've thought about this this morning, but it is God who sustains us. It is the Lord who sustains His people. And where would we be without the sustaining grace of God? Without the sustaining hand of God. The psalmist said, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, my enemies would have risen up against me. They would have swallowed me whole. But God was on my side. And if God has sustained you, say amen. We read in the Psalms how God sustained his people. And in Psalm chapter 3 and verse 5, the psalmist says, I laid down and I slept and I awoke for the Lord sustained me. In Psalm 3, we find the psalmist involved in a battle, a desperate battle, a battle where he was outnumbered, where his adversary was fierce, where he was in desperate need of a divine intervention. And in the midst of that battle, what does he do? What do you and I do when we're in a battle? The Bible says that the psalmist said, I laid down, I slept. How is it that he could sleep and and be at rest in the middle of a battle? 
in the middle of trouble, in the middle of a storm. He does the very same thing Jesus did in the boat on Galilee when in the middle of the storm he laid down and slept. Why? He said, because the Lord sustained me. He said, I will lay down, I will sleep, and I will wake up. In other words, I'm not dying in this battle. I'm not dying in this challenge. I will get up from this because the Lord sustains me. Come on, somebody. Is there anybody that has that conviction this morning? You say, Pastor, I haven't slept for days. I haven't been able to rest. I haven't been able to get to, to get any sleep. I'm telling you this morning, there's a place where you can find rest. His name is Jesus. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And this rest is found, friends, in this, in this knowledge of this truth, that it is the Lord who sustains those who call upon him. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 21. Nehemiah gives the testimony of the children of Israel. He says, indeed, for 40 years you provided for them in the wilderness. And they were not lacking. Their clothes did not wear out. And that you and their feet did not swell. Why? Because the Lord sustained them. They went 40 years through this journey in the wilderness. 40 years as pilgrims without a house, without a, a stability. And yet there was incredible stability. They had all that they needed and they lacked nothing because the Lord sustained them. If you can look back over your life this morning, however long it's been, and whether you're 20 or, or whether you're 40 or whether you're 60 or 80 or whether you're pushing 100 and you know that it was God that sustained you, that it was God who brought you through, shout amen this morning morning because it is the promise of God toward you that you will not walk alone but that you have his sustaining grace in your life psalm chapter 41 and verse 3 the lord uh, the, the psalmist writes there and he says the lord will sustain me upon my sickbed and in his illness uh, and in my illness you restore me to health there you have another promise of God he says i'll sustain you on your sick bed, when you're sick, when you're uh, lacking in health, and, and we're in a season where that is uh, uh, more common than it's ever been in our world, and it's uh, or in our lifetime, we should say. And yet, God says, I will sustain you upon that sick bed, upon that bed of affliction. I've come this morning to encourage somebody. Maybe you're listening and you're on a sick bed. Maybe you're in the hospital. Maybe you're at home wondering what's next. I'm here today to tell you there's a healer in the house. His name is Jesus, and He sustains you on the sick bed. Come on, somebody. And he is the one that restores you to hell. God is our healer. He said he sent his word and he healed all of our diseases. For by his stripes we were healed. This is God's promise to you. When I was a missionary uh, in the Amazon, I, I went on a missionary trip that was going to uh, have three crusades in ten days. I had been suffering with bronchitis for three months. And when I got to the Amazon, it got worse. The humidity and the heat made matters worse. And I got to where I was almost not even able to get up uh, out of bed. I was able to muster the strength to get up and preach uh, in, the, in the sessions that I was holding. But that was about all I could do. And I would pray, Lord, just give me the power to preach. And then, uh, well, you know, you can do whatever uh, the rest you want to do in my life. But I need you to heal me. And uh, one, one afternoon, we were taking a day or two of, of rest. 
And I was up on the uh, top floor of this, of this house where we were staying. There was a porch overlooking the, uh, the river. And I'm, I'm sitting there in a hammock. And I'm, I'm, I'm sick. And I'm watching everybody else do what they're doing and having their moment of recreation. And I began to pray and ask God to bring healing to my body. And then I remembered the psalmist in Psalm 13. And I began to sing the psalms of the, uh, the, the words of the 13th Psalm. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? But I love that psalm because at the end of it, that David's mind and heart has been renewed. And he says, I will sing to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord because he has done me good. And friends, as I was singing the words of that psalm, I, I, I all of a sudden felt the divine healing power of God touch my body. And I was healed in, the, in that moment and raised up from that, from that bed of sickness. Come on, somebody. Because God is a healer. I said, God is a healer. Listen, I know there's a, I know there's a challenge uh, this, uh, this morning. I know there's a resistance against the word of God because people have seen so much sickness. They've forgotten that God is a healer. But I'm here today to tell you there's a word that says you are healed in Jesus name, that by his stripes we are healed. And he says he will sustain you and restore you to health. If you need health in your body, shout amen. Because you have a healer, a sustainer. He says in Psalm 146, verse 9, The Lord protects the stranger. He supports the fatherless and the widow. And he, uh, he thwarts all who walk in the way of wickedness. There we see God sustaining of the vulnerable. God says, I care about the foreigner, the stranger, that person that is in a foreign land, doesn't speak the language, doesn't eat the same foods, doesn't know the customs. And yet God says, I care about them and I will sustain them. That fatherless orphan, uh, 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 that little boy or little girl without a dad, without a mom, someone who is uh, caring for them. God says, I will sustain them. I will care for them. We have uh, men and women who grew up as orphans in this church. And yet today they're pillars of strength in our community. Why? Because God sustained them. He says, the widow, that woman who's lost her resources, who's lost the, the, the uh, strength of her husband and the provisions that come through that. And yet he says, I will sustain you. This is God's promise. Maybe you're in that place of vulnerability this morning. Maybe you're in that place of uncertainty where you don't know where your next uh, provision will come from. But I've come to encourage you that God is the sustainer of your life. That God cares about you and that he will uphold you by his mighty right hand. Psalm 54 and verse 4. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. Now we see that the psalmist goes a little deeper. And he says, God not only sustains me in my natural uh, and material needs, but God sustains my soul. That part of me that's intangible, that's immaterial. That part of us that nobody can see. That inner man, the Bible calls him. The inner man, that inner person of the heart. And the, and the scripture says that who can, uh, who can endure a broken spirit? You can have broken bones and be as happy as can be. But when your spirit is broken, even though all your body is well, when your spirit is broken, it's as though your whole body is broken. There is a heaviness that comes upon the human heart sometimes. Depression, discouragement, fear, anxiety, worry. Maybe today you're fighting that dark 
that darkness, that cloud that's trying to pursue you everywhere you go. It's robbing you of your joy, robbing you of your peace. But I've come to tell you there's a sustainer for the soul. There is a God who cares about the inner man, a God who heals the brokenhearted, a God who raises up the discouraged and the faint and the falling. He says, I'm not going to let you fall and I'm not going to let you quit. I am the sustainer of your soul. Come on, somebody. Get a hold of the mighty hand of God this morning and he will be the sustainer of your soul. He'll give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. He'll give you the ability to be a light in the midst of darkness. He'll give you the strength to testify and to talk about how God has set you free and how God has restored your soul. He sustains my soul. Listen to the man who's talking here. This is the the psalmist David. A man who had experienced the, the rejection of his father. He had been, uh, they, his, uh, his uh, king had tried to kill him, King Saul. His spiritual father Samuel had died. And all of these things were against him. It's enough to, man, to drag a man down. Yet he understood, I have a father in heaven and he'll never reject me. I have a father in heaven and he wants me to live and not die. I have a father in heaven and he'll never die. Come on somebody, he is a sustainer of my soul. And then we read in Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 4, Even to your old and gray hair, I am he. I am the one who sustains you. I have made you and I will carry you and I will sustain you and I will save you. Now, as I look around this morning, I don't see any old people in here this morning. But just someday when you get old, you just remember this verse. What does God say? He says, even in your old age, when your hair is gray, I will sustain you. He says, I made you, I carried you, and I will sustain you. God's program of sustaining is from the cradle to heaven. Come on, somebody. God says, I will carry you. Now listen, what's God telling the people in Isaiah's day? He's saying, look, you have gone to idolatry. And your gods, they have to be carried. They hoist them up on their shoulders. And they will carry them through the streets of town. And you've seen these types of parades going on in the different cultures around the world. Where they carry their gods. But God says, you don't have to carry me. You don't have to carry me because I'm the one carrying you. I don't need anybody to carry me. I'm God all by myself. But I've come to carry you and to sustain you. Come on, somebody. He says, I will be your, I will sustain you and I will save you. I will rescue you. I'll be your deliverance. I'll be your help in the day of trouble. So how does this come into your life? Psalm 55 verse 22 says, cast your burdens upon the Lord and he will sustain you and will never allow the righteous to be shaken. When you and I cast our burdens upon God, when we depend upon him in our life and in, for our needs and for, for the, the inner man, we understand that he is the one who's holding us up, who's sustaining us by his divine power and might. And the, 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 the Apostle Paul experienced this. He said, I have a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Something was going on in his life. We're not exactly sure what. It might have been sickness. It might have been controversy. It might have been a, a, an affliction that was going on in his inner man. But whatever it was, it was pulling him down, so he thought. 
And he said to God, God, deliver me from this thing. I can't carry this anymore. And God didn't answer the question, but he simply said to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is perfected in your weakness. Maybe you feel weak this morning. Maybe you feel powerless this morning. Maybe you feel discouraged this morning. But I've come to tell you there is a sustaining grace for you. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Hang on. Hold on to his hand. And watch God work in your behalf and in your life. I have commanded a widow to sustain you. The second principle we find here in this, uh, in this passage, it's an active principle of God's provision for us. He says, I have commanded. Now we understand that God's uh, plan for Elijah was a providential plan. In other words, God was going ahead of him. God was working in Elijah's life in ways that Elijah didn't know or recognize and hadn't seen yet. But God was at work. And this is not just true for Elijah, but it's true for each one of you. It's true for me. That God has gone ahead of us. And to the various vicissitudes and challenges of life. He goes ahead of us into the storm. He came ahead of us into this pandemic. He goes ahead of you into the trials of life. And he says, I have commanded. I've already made provision. I've already made a supply available to you. I've already done what you need. Before you need, you knew you needed it. And before you knew how to pray for it, I had already made available to you this supply. Come on, is there anybody here this morning that believes that God is going ahead of you and making a way for you so that you not stumble and fall, but so that you can see Him at work in your life? How does He do this? He does it through a command. He says, I have commanded. And here we see the principle of the word of God in our life. That the word of God is God's provision for our life. Look with me at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. And as you, as you look for that in your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. I want you to study this with me because it is such an important uh, part of our uh, spiritual walk. And we need to have this in our minds, especially in days like this. He says, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need. Did you hear that? God has given us what? Everything we need. Everybody say everything. What has God given you? Do you realize God has not left anything out of your provision? Everything you need, He has sufficiently supplied. He has made everything available to you. Where is this? God has given it. He says, by His divine power, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. What you need for your life. For your natural material life. And what you need in order to live a godly and pure life before God. God has already supplied. God has already provided it. And this morning we need to take that to heart. God has already met my need. He has already given me everything that I need. And if I don't see it, I just have to look around for it. And watch God bring it into my life. Say amen somebody. We keep reading. We have received all this by uh, by coming to know Him. And the one who called us to Himself. 
by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. How do we come to have the assurance that God has given us everything? By coming to know God. The more you know Jesus, the more confidence you have in the everything that God has supplied. Say amen, somebody. And then he says, and because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. Where is this everything that God has supplied for us? It's in His great and precious promises. I love how the King James says it. In His exceedingly great and precious promises. That is where the provision of God is for your life. Say this with me out loud. God's provision for my life is in His Word. Now just let that sink in. God's provision for your life is in His Word. What has He provided? Everything. Where has He provided it? In His exceedingly great and precious promises. Now, that is why you and I need to know the promises of God. And that is why you and I need to know the Word of God. Because if God has commanded a blessing, if God has commanded provision, you and I will access it when we know that it's there. When we know what God has said about a particular situation in our life. That's why I advise you frequently. When you have a need in your life, go to the Word. Find a promise from God that relates to that need. And then pray until something happens. Lay hold of what God has spoken over your life. Is the church here this morning? Why? Because it's already been provided. It's been provided in His Word. And you and I receive it when we believe the word of God. These are the promises that enable you. That's what he says. These are the promises that enable you to become a partaker of the divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Now, I know that that's a little bit of a controversial statement, but here's what God's saying. When you take hold of my word, you become a partaker of my nature. Now, just think about the nature of God. Is God healthy? Come on, you're a better trained church than that. Is God healthy? Is God worried? Is God in lack? Does God have peace? Does God have joy? Does God have all his needs met? And guess what? When you take hold of his promises, he says, you begin to share in my nature. And whatever I have, you have. And whatever I don't have, you don't have to have. Come on, somebody. You have received the command of the Lord. 7,000 promises in the Bible. Pick one. Pastor, I don't know them all. Just pick one. You take hold of one and you just keep you just keep believing God until you see that manifesting in your life. Now what does the Bible say? Deuteronomy chapter 8. God said to Israel, Man shall not live by bread alone. But how? By every word. Every command, every promise. By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Our life consists of the word of God. We were created by the word. And God said, let us make man in our image. We were created by the word. And guess what? We exist and are sustained by the word of God. We are sustained by the words that God has spoken over our life. And so he says, you don't live by bread alone. You will need bread. 
And when you need bread, I'll provide it. But there's something you need more than bread. You need my word. You need my word to live. You need my word to have a godly life. You need my word to be able to walk by faith. And friends, the command that God gave to Elijah was first in his word. Because here's what, here's what we see. We see a pattern. He said, I have commanded a raven to provide for you. And then he says, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. Now, when, when the brook dried up and, and Elijah realized, okay, the, the brook's not my source. And then he looks over here to this widow and he realizes, okay, this widow's not my source. What's God doing in his life? He's teaching him, your circumstances are not what you need to look at. And this widow over here, the people in your life, they're not what you need to look at. What you need to look at is this, that I have commanded. I have given you my word and my word will sustain you. Come on somebody, you, you will get lost looking at circumstances. When the brook dries up, your hope will dry up if you're looking at circumstances. And you'll get lost looking at people. I'm just waiting on my rich uncle to give me some money. Theo may never give you any money. And he may not include you in the will. You can't look at people as though they're your source. God is your source. And he says, I have commanded. Now, I'm going to use the the brook, and I'm going to use the ravens, and I'm going to use the widow. But don't you forget that it was my word that did this. Man shall not live by bread alone. You're not going to live by brooks and ravens and widows. You're going to live by my word. We're a creature of the word. We're sustained by the word. And when you and I live by the word, friends, we can face all the challenges of life. He went, he went to the brook Kareth because God said so and God met his need there. He went to Zarephath because God said so and God met his need there. And then when God said, now get up and go show yourself to Ahab who was actively trying to kill him, he went without fear. Why? Because God said so. He had an unshaking reliance upon the word of God. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of faith I want to have. The kind of faith that believes God and takes him at his word. No matter what I see, no matter what I feel, no matter what anyone else is saying, I want to live a life that believes God and takes him at his word. Shout amen if that's your heart's desire this morning. Number three, the third principle. I have commanded a widow. I've told you before that I thought, okay, no problem. She's probably a rich widow. She probably has an endowment, an estate. She probably has butlers and maids, a cook in the kitchen, thousands of chickens. God said he commanded a widow to provide for me, then that must mean she's going to be pretty well off. But no. God commanded a widow. This widow was running on empty. She had a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil left to make her last bread so that she and her son could eat and die. And here's the principle we see that God provides and works through small things. God often sends deliverance through unusual things. First he used a raven, now he uses a widow. 
And on and on it goes. With God, you, you can never predict the instrument that God will use. You will, you'll never be able to predict exactly the, the way that God will do it. But friends, just understand this principle. That God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. God doesn't need big things to do big things. In fact, he often uses the small, the insignificant, the, the under, the under, uh, estimated. Why? Because he wants to be glorified. And he doesn't want, he doesn't want man's uh, ability or man's strength to receive the glory. But he wants to receive the glory for himself because it's his word that's doing this in our life. This is a covenant principle from the word of God. That the few can overcome the many because they're walking with God. A slave nation overcame Egypt because they were walking with God. David overcame Goliath because he was walking with God. And in your life, this covenant principle will be true as well. That the few will overcome the many because you're walking with God. Because you have taken God at his word. He says, I have commanded a widow. Some unexpected source. Some unexpected place. Nevertheless, the instrument of God's use. And we've been hearing this over and over again. But the Lord really wants to get this clear in our mind. Don't be too proud for the instrument that God uses. Don't be too proud for the instrument that God will use to transform your life. And to bring deliverance to your family. At the age of 14, Charles Spurgeon was a genius, already an incredible intellect. And he had said in his heart that he wanted to know God. He wanted to know how to be saved. And so he started attending every church in town. And no one could tell him how to be saved. And uh, he was uh, educated far above most of the ministers in the pulpits. And, but no one could answer the simple question, how to be saved. So one day, on his way to church, he got caught up in a dense fog. And he just needed some place to get in out of the fog. And so he saw a little door uh, uh, open and he went in and it was a small church. And the pastor hadn't made it to the church that day so the deacon had to preach. And the deacon wasn't very good uh, at preaching and he wasn't uh, very educated and he didn't even know English very well. But he started to preach and he started to say, if you want to be saved, look, look to him and live. And he was preaching out of the, uh, the gospel of John. And he said, anyone who looks will live. And he said, even you, young man, even poor, miserable you, if you'll just look to God, you can be saved. And that day, Charles Spurgeon was saved and converted and became a child of God because a small instrument became mighty in the hands of the Almighty God. Come on, somebody. The resource of God is not limited to great things. But he can use the small and the insignificant to bring about a deliverance in the life of somebody. And so that brings me to the fourth principle this morning. And that is that everyone has something to give. This widow had only a handful of flour and a little bit of oil. But she had something. In fact, all the widows in the Bible that you read about who received a miracle from God, they all had something. They all had maybe something small, something little, something that no one would count or consider. But God counts it and God considers it. And this is the point this morning the Lord wants me to drive home. 
is that you have something in your life. You have something in your, in your family. You have something in your home. You have a gift. You have an ability. You have a skill. You have a resource by which to become a blessing in the life of someone else. And maybe some people would say, well, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I'll be a blessing later. No, you'll be a blessing now. Say amen, somebody. If you want to get through this, with all the blessing that God has promised, you're going to have to start sowing now. The Bible said that Isaac sowed in the famine. And he received a hundred times, a hundredfold, what he sowed. You see, God always puts our deliverance. He attaches our deliverance to a seed. To an investment that you and I can make. To a gift that you and I can bring. And you might say, well, I don't have much. But God says, you give me what little you have. I'll make it more. Elijah came to this widow's house. And he said to her, bring me a little bit of water. So she went off to get the water. And while she was going, he said, and bring me a bread cake too. And she said, sir, as the Lord lives, I have only a handful of a flour and a little bit of oil. And I'm going, to bake, I'm going to bake that, and then my son and I are going to die. This famine has destroyed us. We're running on empty. We're about, to be un- we're about to go under. And he said, all right, but bring me a cake first. He said, bring me a cake first, and the bowl of flour will not go dry. And the cruise of oil will not go dry until the day that it rains upon the earth. That woman took him at his word. She received the word of God and she went into her house and she brought the man of God what little she had left. And maybe this morning you might say, I don't have very much to give. I don't have very much I can offer. But friend, I believe you're richer than you think you are. Because you have a testimony to share. You have a message to deliver. You have love to give to the lost. You have hope to give to a stranger. You have the power to raise up someone's courage. There's some money in your pocket to fill someone's tank with gas this week so that they can do the things they need to do to provide for their family. I know that every single person in this church house this morning has something that you can give. And God says this, if you will put it in my hand, I will multiply your strength. I will multiply your resources and you will not lack and you will not suffer lack because I will sustain you. Come on, somebody. Everybody has something to give. And the Bible says that she ate And Elijah ate and her son ate until the end of the famine. Until the end of the famine. I wonder what your until the end of the pandemic testimony will be. When all of this is over and you stand telling your grandchildren what God did in your life in this season. What will your testimony be? Will your testimony be that God sustained you until the end of the pandemic? That God upheld you until the end of the pandemic? Come on, somebody. God is working on your behalf and through your life, but he wants you to receive a blessing and to be a blessing. He said to Abraham, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. 
Now Elijah had to do his part. He had to bring her the word. She had to do her part. She had to bring her seed. And then God did what he said he would do. And he supplied. Now let me close with this this morning. Because the word sustain, it means to sustain, to cause to live and thrive, as I have mentioned. But there's another meaning in the Hebrew. The word sustain means measure. In other words, God said to Elijah, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow with your measure. And the word measure doesn't mean a simply measure, but it means an overflow. He's saying to Elijah, your measure, your overflow, your answer is in that house. Now it doesn't look like much. It looks like a handful of flour and a little bit of oil. But when it's God's measure, you'll never lack Say amen, somebody. God told Israel, when, you, when the manna falls, I want you to pick up one omer of, of manna per person. He said, but, but Lord, I could eat two omers. No, no, this ain't no buffet. One omer per person. What was God teaching them? My measure is sufficient. And so he said... He who had little had nothing left over. Pardon, he who had much had nothing left over. And he who had little had no lack. The one who took an omer and thought this is not going to be enough, he left the table full. And the one that took an omer and thought this is going to be too much, he left the table full. God's measure is always enough. And you say, Pastor, what kind of measure does God have for me? Would you like to know? Okay, we'll leave it for next Sunday. Would you like to know? What kind of measure does God have for me? Luke chapter 6 verse 38. This is God's measure. What kind of measure does God have for you? A good measure. Everyone say good measure. You guys remember grandma's cookie jar? The young kids don't know anything about that. My grandma had a cookie jar up on the refrigerator. And I just love to see her reach up there and take it down. Now, this is my great-grandmother's house. She served Maria cookies. And um, if you got one, that that was a measure. But if you got two, that was a good measure. God's measure for you is a good measure. Say it again, good measure. What kind of measure does God have for you? A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's God's measure for your life. It's an overflowing measure. God's sustaining measure for you in this and every season is a good measure, pressed down. Why do they press it down? They pressed it down in the basket so they could get more in. Shaken together. They shook it so that it would settle and get make more room. And it's running over. It's overflowing. Now I want you just to take that 
and treasure it in your heart. Because God told Elijah, I have put your measure in that command that I gave. If you will obey the command, and if she will obey the command, then you will have the good measure. And you will eat, and she will eat, and her whole household will eat until this thing is over. Because you have obeyed the command of the Lord. And so now, it's on us to determine our measure. Because here's what the scripture says. Give, and it will be given to you. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So you and I have to decide what measure we're going to give with. In the middle of these trying times, you and I have to decide, what measure am I going to love with? Am I going to love with a teaspoon or a shovel? Am I going to forgive with a small measure of forgiveness? Or am I going to forgive with a great measure of forgiveness? Am I going to be generous with a small measure? Or am I going to be generous with a great measure? Because you're the one determining the measure with which you can receive. Friends, if God has given us a good measure, then I want a good measure back. Here's what Elijah had decided. I'm going to depend on God completely. And what did he receive from God? Complete provision. This morning I invite you to stand to your feet with me. And I want you to think about what you have in your house. What you have in your life. That you can give, that you can share, that you can use, that you can put in God's hands. How can you become a blessing this week? How can you become a blessing in the life of the hurting, the discouraged? You say, Pastor, I don't have time for that. I am discouraged myself. I'm in lack myself. I'm in need myself. Maybe you are, but that's the key. When you set what you need aside and you say, God, use me. Make me a blessing. Make me an instrument that you can use that God will take and supply that need and your need also. Because he's not short supplied. He has an abundance and he has provided all these things for you. Now we're going to pray through this sermon now. So right where you are, just lift your hands to heaven and ask God to make you a blessing. Ask him to to show you ways and people that he wants to touch and love through you. Father God, this morning we come and we recognize that you have blessed us. We live in a prosperous nation. And for all of our woes and troubles, we are more blessed than most of the nations of the earth. And we want to say to you, we refuse today to be so consumed by our own challenges and needs that we forget that you put us here 
to be a blessing to the nations of the world. I pray that a spirit of generosity would come upon your people. I pray that that spirit of generosity, which will cause them to sow in good soil, would spring up and increase because they are a giving church. Because they are a giving and generous people. Because they have never withheld from you. And they will not withhold from you in this season. And because of this, you have opened up the windows of heaven. And they will not lack. And they will not go without. You will be their supply. Hallelujah. You are my supply. You are our supply. Blessed be your name forever. Now let's go to another part of the sermon. You need God's sustaining grace. Come on, just lift your hands to heaven and receive the grace of God to sustain you. If you're on a sick bed, receive the grace of God to sustain you. If you're in the middle of a battle, receive the power of God to sustain you. This battle's not going to kill you. This war's not taking you down. You will rest and you will watch God do the impossible in your life. The Lord says, watch me. I will fight for you. I will sustain you. Maybe your soul is down, discouraged and despondent. You're fighting off depression. You're fighting off anxiety and worry. I command it to go now in Jesus' name. He sustains your soul. Come on, just receive the grace of God. Power is rising up on the inside of you. Power is rising up on the inside of you. Strength to do battle.